Warning, this episode contains mentions of suicide. Listener discretion is advised. This house was never meant to be a podcast. Hello, listeners. I'm Zach. And I'm Valina. And we're just a couple of horror fans making a horror podcast. Welcome to This House Was Never Meant to Be a Podcast. We're going to cover all of the horror anthology shows that we can get our hands on. Today we're watching The Odds, which stars Danny Aiello. I have no idea how to pronounce that name. Um, it's, it's probably a yellow. Yellow? Yellow. With an A? Well, I mean, it's it's Italian. Oh, Okay, well, Danny Iello, who plays Tommy Vale, the main character, we may know him as Lewis from Jacob's Ladder, he's the chiropractor, and Tom Noonan, who plays Lacey, who is the villain of this episode. He also plays Francis Dollarhide in Manhunter, hmm. which explains why he gets the kind of special guest status in the credits, hmm. or rather the opening credits, they like specifically say, and so-and-so but like in a this is special sort of way. But in quotation marks. Yes. That was such a weird thing to notice. Just, just oh, and starring in quotation marks. Mm. It, was, it was such a weird thing. Like, did I not have that? Is it an impersonator? Like, Because mm-hmm, usually they just list the, the actor names. They don't even say who they're playing. They just throw the actor's names out there. But this guy gets like the special treatment. Oh, and Tom Noonan is playing Lacey. But, but in quotation marks, and that's the weird part about that. Mm-hmm. You always know who the most famous actor is in the opening credits, because they make sure you know it's special. Mm-hmm. And although this episode came out in 1984 and Manhunter came out in 1986, he's probably been in more movies than that that make him like this kind of big name actor. Mm-hmm. But I only really know Manhunter, so that's me or, or something along the lines of that. Some kind of simple little MIDI jingle playing from some cheap old electronic. It reminded me of that cell phone ringing from Jurassic Park, uh, was it 3? Yes. It reminded me of that, just constantly going off, this just annoying little ringtone. <laughs> yeah, it might as well have been that. <laughs> so, Tom Vale, or Tommy Vale? Tommy Vale. Tommy Vale is the head of this uh, betting company, I think. They're bookies? He's a, yeah, bookie. he's a bookie. He's a bookie. I don't know if there's a company or something attached to that. But he is a bookie, so that means he he deals with bets, and he's, like, the guy you make bets with if you want to place, like, a bet officially. Like, if you want to bet on a horse race or something, you use a bookie. So, Tommy Vale is, like, ah. Uh, his friend it, or something? It's, like, yeah, his assistant. It's his personal Igor. <laughs> Basically. That's the role he serves, essentially, just to be there to be talked at. Or yes. To. And uh, he's got this simple little, like, uh, super silver, not like chrome, but just silver little calculator that makes beeping noises. It's a super fancy electronic calculator. It's a fancy electronic calculator. One of the first of the electronics. And he's like, sorry, boss. I don't know what he says after that. He's just like, I don't know if it was in response to it going off on the hour. Or uh, was he was just calculating away? He was just calculating. He was trying to convince his boss, uh, Tommy, that it was a useful gadget. That the calculator, you know, it works so fast. You know, it's better than pencil and paper. Oh, right. You know? And yeah, then yeah. he bought it as a I... gift for Tommy. But yeah. Tommy, like, you know. He's like, just... I ain't never use a calculator. All I need is this pencil and my thoughts. Or yeah, he points to his head, but we know it's just oh my brain, you know, my mm-hmm. brain and my pencil, all I need. Mm-hmm. Horace tells him, like, oh you, you know, you you gotta keep up with the with the modern electronics. And Vale Tommy Vale says, nah, nah. And then what happens is they bring up the fact that business is slow, because this bar is empty, right? Like there's only Tommy Vale, Horace, we never learn his last name. The barkeeper, Phil, mm-hmm. and the drunk guy who's passed out in the corner that you hardly notice, but he's there. And I, I saw him. I did not notice him. <laughs> oh, my gosh. There's a, there is a drunk guy in this whole scene in the beginning. And he's just in the corner, just asleep on the counter. 
he is so hard to notice if you don't like catch it. But yeah, there's only those people there, and Tommy Vale brings up that he is never cheated and he has never been broke. This is important. Yeah, he says, I've never been cheated. I've never been broken. I'm the best. And then Horace is like, I'm going to go get a soak, which, which is beer. <laughs> they never say the word beer in this episode, but they will always refer to it as a soak. And I don't think I've ever heard it called a soak. And I don't know why. It's not like it's some sort of censorship. I mean, there's like a I lot know, of... Right? I mean, there's ga- the whole thing is about gambling. What, 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 why the is New beer? Man is a great example of just straight up alcohol in this show. So it's not censorship. I just, I don't know why they decided to call it a soak unless they thought it was this hip kind of like New Yorker thing to call it. I mean, it. it could be. They might be, they might be trying, trying to be to use lingo to, to the jargon of like the time and place it's set. Yeah. You know, doing that you mentioned that, it's probably true. So what ends up happening is there is this cool breeze and Tommy is like, hey, could you cut it out with the with the fan bit, Phil? And Phil and Horace look up at the ceiling and the fans are all off. And they have like a real comical, like slow gaze up at the fan. Like <laughs> yeah. it, it's a it's... very pointed look and it's, it's kind of silly. And I want to mention the roof, like the roof tiles, just they look like those little like chocolate bar pips i think they're called those little squares of chocolate they, they it looks like chocolate the ceiling just is that perfect chocolatey look so they do their comedic look upwards and what ends up happening is somebody is already in the building and it's a dude dressed in all white and horace actually says oh i didn't hear the door open yes and so we see this guy in all white walk over to Tommy's seat because he's sitting in uh, one of those little bench seats at the little table, you know? It's a booth. It's a booth. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, I haven't been into a restaurant for so long. Uh, <laughs> a booth, and he's smiling. He's just He's just got a big old smile on his face. Like, oh, somebody tickling your leg under the seat? That's so <laughs> funny. Like, it's just such a bold statement because this dude sits down in front of him on the table, so he's, like, right across from him, and he just got this, like, intense smile just staring at him wordlessly. And I'd say it's a goofy smile. It is. It was like, he's just, a, he's he's like thinking of something somebody said that was funny like 20 minutes ago. And, you know, it's not enough to make him laugh anymore, <laughs> but it's enough to just kind of make him smile. And yeah. Just... And Tommy Vale just outright. Oh, it's someone tickling your leg under there. Like, it's just, I don't know. It feels on one hand like that's such a it rude thing It feels weirdly hostile. It is for absolutely who's just hostile. Smiling. But it's also kind of a weird thing for him to do just sit there and grin at him like it's a, it's yeah. weird <laughs> instead of just saying please stop he's just kind of like saying something mean to make basically make him stop and stop he did because <laughs> he stopped smiling at that moment and then he starts reaching into his pockets trying to find something and he like he can't find it and then he finds it in his left breast pocket and he pulls out a sheet of paper and he looks at it and he closes it back up and puts it back and he says like i want to bet on ryan's daughter and $500 on Ryan's daughter to win the first race at Belmont. And he's like, oh, yeah, you you know what the odds are on that? And I don't remember the, the odds. The odds are 40 to 1. 40 to 1. And so he pulls out nickels. I think he said they were nickels. And he uses them like poker chips. Yeah, there's a weird kind of like... I, I think the betting works in a weird way like that sometimes where they use yeah. coins to sort of signify how much money it is. And they all say a nickel or a dime. And the only real reason I know is not actually from this episode, but from like a Boy Meets World episode <laughs> where I think Sean or someone was placing a bet. Like, oh, I bet a dime on this horse and or whatever it was. I believe it was, in fact, horse racing. And Corey you know, being Corey, he's like, oh my gosh, I want to do two. And he like picks up the phone. I also bet a dime. And he's just all giddy. And then, cause he's, oh, a dime. And then Sean's like, you idiot. A dime means however much money it was. It's not a dime. It's not 10 cents. It's like, I think it's several thousand dollars or $8,000. <laughs> I don't really know, but they, it is a lot like the poker chips where it, it means something mm-hmm. else. So when he says that this bet, 
He's like, no, no, you you know what? You're going to kill yourself. Just don't take this back. You're not going to be able to make this kind of bet. Not, you're not going to have any kind of chance of winning this uh, with that much money. And so he p- keeps the money down. They turn on the radio and they start listening to the horse race. And we discover that Ryan's daughter was in the race. And, and keep in mind, this race is happening right as they makes the bet. So they turn on the radio and the race is starting. And so we discover that Ryan's daughter was held back in the gates uh, or slow to start. And then we hear the horse race and oh, I got to do this running around with it, yada yada and this and that. And oh, this and that is making it past the yada yada. <laughs> and then we discover that Ryan's daughter is catching up quickly and is making it to the front of the race. And it's like, oh, it's a, it's a neck and neck race between Ryan's daughter and yada yada. So we start to see Tommy, his smugness is leaving his face while the smugness is starting to grow on the man in white's face. We hear the announcer saying like, oh, you know, it's a close race, but Ryan's daughter makes it past the gate first. And oh, what an amazing day for racing and yada yada. (laughs) So uh, Tommy is just absolutely impressed. Like, oh my God, there's no way he would have won this. Like what odds? Mm -hmm. So he's like, all right, I'll, I'll have you money tomorrow and because he bet five thousand dollars on this horse and the odds were 40 to one he wins twenty thousand dollars so it's basically you multiply the odds by the amount of money put in so that's how that works also in case you're interested a nickel in betting terms is five hundred dollars and a dime is a thousand dollars oof yeah, it's weird stuff like that you never really learn about within the episode. And I feel like that should have been touched upon a little bit more. But that's a topic for a later point. After the race, we discover that he's going to make another bet. And he wants to know what the line is on Detroit. Whatever that is referring to. <laughs> I know. So he ends up saying that he wants to know what that is, right? He wants to know. They say, like, oh, there's no big payoff for that. It's one to three. No, it's three to one. Oh, yeah, th- three to one. Uh, bird Oreos. That is what like I the heard. cookies. America's heard... favorite cookie. I heard him saying. Wow, that's literally what I heard too. The Oreos. That is what I heard throughout the entire time they were mentioning it. I, I wrote it in my notes as the Oreos too. So, I mean, it was very difficult to figure out with that. And, and keep in mind that they mentioned that, like, oh, this kind of a bet is suicide. Mm-hmm. And, for the bookie. <laughs> for the bookie, yeah. And then he's like, oh, boss, you know, you sure you want to do this bet? Tommy Vale's like, I, I never turn down a bet. You know, he never he never turns down a bet, never never loses, or not loses, but, I mean, he just does lose. He's a, he's a bookie. He, that's going to happen at you some point. some, you lose some. Yeah, but that he's never refused a bet. And then the man in white smiles at that. Again. <laughs> like, that's the, his character arc as it's he smiles. His character trait. <laughs> his character trait as he smiles. <laughs> no, he's got more character than that. But it is the only character trait you know of him so far. That he's very lucky and that he grins all the time. Yes. And then we flash forward, I think, to the next day. Well, it's definitely to Wait. the day of the race. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, or the after day of, the race. The day of the thing with the Orioles. <laughs> Whenever that is... Then all of a sudden, they're just, the phones are ringing off the hook and everybody is calling around and they're placing their bets with the Orioles. He, they start saying like, oh man, you know, I, I think somebody's, they're sharing their hunches, right? You know, they're, they're sharing their hunches. Basically, it's to tell other people that they should bet on this. So what ends up happening is that they want to watch the game, but Vale's like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to. I got to keep doing this. Tommy then asks Horace to use the calculator for uh, on the planner. And he uh, calculates that he has lost a ton of money because of the Orioles. Yeah, not only does he owe this mysterious stranger $60,000 because of how much he bet, he also owes all of his other patrons tons of money as well because they also bet money on the Orioles due to this guy's telling them that whatever the Orioles is, is going to win. So they lost way more than just 60 grand. They Mm -hmm. lost however much money. You're not actually told how much money, but they lost quite a bit more 
uh, because of his info sharing. And then Horace asks Tommy, how's business going? And Tommy responds with, oh, business could be better. And then we see the man in white's already in the room again. And he says, my business has never been better. And so he decides, very goofy sounding laugh. And the guy in white, just so you know, in case you couldn't tell, Tommy never laughs throughout this for the most part. Not into this point. He hasn't chuckled a bit. But the guy in white, he's just... (laughs) That kind of weird laugh, right? So he is wondering, and he asks Horace to come over, and he's like, hey, Horace, does he look familiar to you? Yeah, kind of, boss, but I'm not quite sure where. He's like, uh, is the name, uh... What what was the name? Billy Lacey. Billy... Bill, Bill Lacey, ring a bell? Oh, yeah. But he, he died a while ago. And he's like, you Lacey's kid? Or was that Tommy who said that? I think it was Tommy. He's like, are you Bill Lacey's kid? He has the box of earnings, right? And it's full of money. And he says, uh, and to see if I can remember it verbatim, because I think I have this line memorized. He says, I like this box. And this is literally directly in response to his saying, are you Bill Lacey's son? And he says, I like this box. I like boxing. Tonight at the... I can't remember where it was exactly, but uh, he puts the bet on Rodriguez on a boxing match in Detroit, I believe. I mean, where else do you box? (laughs) Are you sure it's not Detroit? I'm I'm pretty sure it was... I thought it was Detroit. It could be. I don't know. (laughs) How much did he bet on it against? He bet all of his winnings again. Uh, mm. He bet the $60,000. And Tommy says it's 8 to 1 odds. But because he has not stopped winning yet, he says he's going to cut the odds in half. Because as the bookie, he reserves the right to do that. His odds may be this large to win. But if you're betting on him, he's prob- he probably is going to win. So I'm going to change those odds. And he also mentioned that... If other people are also betting, their odds go down. Mm-hmm. I'm not exactly sure how this whole betting. Well, think about it like works, this: but... if more people bet on one thing, then the earnings get distributed evenly among the people who bet. But so they... they bet money into a pool, and then. But that's not how this one works because Lacey got the six thousand dollars himself. He didn't give that to anyone else. So I'm not sure if that works. It's just that the odds were changed. Lacey mentions that if everyone else is also betting on the same person, then his odds are going to go down with the rest of theirs. So basically, they're going to have, they're all going to get a lot less money. Because if they were to bet any amount of money on the 8 to 1, it would be a larger payoff than the 4 to 1. But mm-hmm. if more people are betting, then the odds are going to go down further still. Yeah. And Lacey's also going to get the lower payoff. So. That's what he says. Um, again, I'm not 100% sure like how the mathematics goes in that because yeah. I don't know how the betting pool works. Or if there Boy, is a pool. It doesn't sound like there's a pool at all. There might be like an odds pool, which is what Tommy had set up specifically to keep Lacey from spreading the word again. Do you think the inclusion of the calculator was kind of a, a hint hint towards us, the audience, bringing our own calculators to watch this? <laughs> like the 3D glasses and Freddy's Dead? Oh, like God, no. how they're in universe to kind of encourage the viewer to also wear the 3D glasses. And this, it's also to encourage you to bring your own calculator. <laughs> the Math Olympics are fun, kids. I'd rather do the <laughs> Math Olympics. <laughs> so he makes the bet and Tommy has to go make a phone call. And the guy in white, uh, we'll call him Lacey Jr. So Lacey Jr. decides to say, like, oh, you need a dime? Why don't you add this dime to the bet? And I'm assuming that's also code for adding the value of a dime to the bet. So because of his lowered odds, he decides to add more money to the bet. And it's funny because Horace actually calculates how much money he stands to win, which is $2,400,000. But he does not add in the dime. I mean, I guess if he would, that would be... I, I don't have my calculator with me right now. Oh, yeah. And they end up talking about Bill Lacey a bit. Or, you know, uh, Lacey Sr., as we'll talk about him for now. And Horace ends up talking about Bill Lacey with the guy in white, uh, Lacey Jr. 
And he says that Bill Lacey, uh, it was kind of a shame that he died because uh, he was ashamed that he killed himself. And uh, I'm not sure he says and, that. And he said, uh, it was like a shame that he's dead. And then the guy in white, uh, Lacey Jr., says he shouldn't be dead. Tommy Vale should be dead. And Tommy Vale turns around after overhearing that. He makes some uh, comment about that, and I don't quite well, remember. Well, here's what happens. He sits down, and he mentions, oh, you know, you're really, really lucky. You did not get that from your old man. He was a very unlucky man. Oh, and, that was it. And then Lacey says something that at least to Horace sounds like he's putting his old man down. Oh, yeah, well, he was an idiot or something like that. And then Horace is like, hey, don't you disrespect the dead. Yeah, he was, I don't know if he says he's a good man, but he does defend him. Like, he did actually get along with Lacey Sr. And that's when Lacey Jr. says he shouldn't be dead. It should be Tommy Vale that's dead. Mm-hmm. And so Tommy Vale ends up making a comment about that. I don't quite remember what it was. Uh, yeah, he barges in after finishing uh, up the barges phone in. Call. He was literally right behind the booth making a phone call. The booth was literally, uh, the phone call little area was no joke about four or five feet away from the booth. So there's no way he's not going to hear that. So he turns around. He's upset about what he just heard. And so he comes back and is like, oh, is that what you want? Is that what you want? Is that what you're trying to do to me? Trying to put me down completely out of business? They begin to talk about Bill Lacey a little bit more and he ended up... Tommy Vale ends up saying that, hey, I never strong-armed nobody. I didn't make him bet over his head. That was on him. And so he mentions, he says, you know, Lacey committed suicide because of his debt. I never would have made him do this. I don't strong-arm anybody. I don't, I, I didn't tell him to keep betting with me. He could have gone to someone else. He could have done something else. But this is the path he chose, basically, to paraphrase. So next, Lacey Jr. ends up telling him that he's going to be back tomorrow. And he, Tommy retorts that if he wins. So next, he, uh, and and this is uh, Tommy Vale. The next time we see him, it's him giving the man in white all of the money that he just won from the previous bet. (laughs) And Which, to reiterate, is (laughs) $240,000. That's some impressive numbers. So Tommy Vale is incredibly livid in a typical New Yorker type of way where he's just like, wow, I can't believe how in the world did you win this? You know what? Because of all you're winning, I'm going to give you one last bet. And or uh, the man white, uh, what's his Lacey. name? Lacey Vale. No. <laughs> uh, Lacey Jr., Wants to make one more bet. And Tommy Vale's like, all right, now I'm, I get to pick the odds because at this point and at this rate, I'm not going to be able to keep funding your gambling addiction. And, uh, which is quite amazing when you consider that from a bookie. And so Tommy Vale's like, all right, I get to choose the odds. And he, uh, uh, what was his name? Uh, Lacey Jr., Says, like, hey, I'm going to raise the stakes. We're talking double or nothing. And here, basically, he bets on Tommy's life. All right, uh, Tommy Vale's life, when he's going to die. And that he makes the prediction for double or nothing of the earnings that he has gotten so far. That if Tommy Vale is dead by 8 o'clock the next morning dying of natural causes they earn the bet they they win the bet and if tommy vale is not dead by eight o'clock the next morning due to natural causes because that was something that he specified with this that if he is not dead by that point then it's nothing and the money stays with the business so later in the night we hear Horace playing the calculator and it's playing this little jingle as he types, you know, and we hear Tommy say like, oh, you know, you play very beautifully on that thing. When I die, I want you to play my funeral. (laughs) (laughs) It was, uh, it's quite a great line. It is very cute too, because it shows like that Horace is really disturbed by the mm-hmm. implication that his boss might actually die. And the fact that his boss is not taking it very seriously. Mm-hmm. 
So what ends up happening after that is we see, and, and there's a new guy in the scene. There's this kind of rounder looking dude in this brown suit who's got a suitcase. And I'm assuming that he's like, what, what, what would you call it? Um, he's like a bodyguard for the suitcase. <laughs> And so he is sitting there with the suitcase and then we see the guy in white or Tommy Jr. No, it's Lacey Jr. Oh my God, Lacey Jr. Oh my God, I'm so bad at names. <laughs> so Lacey Jr. and this dude in all black who is also the suitcase protector guardian. <laughs> and, and they come in and Horace just just outright says that guy give me the creeps. Just right out loud. Where the guy can hear him. Like, that's so rude. But to be fair, though, I don't think the guy carrying the suitcase would have heard anything. Because he sits there the entire scene, standing, bl- staring blankly ahead, not moving, not doing anything, no idle movements, no scratching his nose, no wiping, like, the top of his head or scratching his neck. Nothing. He stands there. The entire time doing nothing. But, uh, so he comes and brings the money and they show all the money in the suitcases so they know they're not getting ripped off or anything. They're not just bringing empty suitcases. And so what they end up doing is they end up sitting at the table waiting from, I think it was midnight and waiting until eight o'clock in the morning to see if he dies. And it's really funny because there's a scene where a body card for the suitcase Oh, yeah, he actually like... uh, is. He's standing there, and then Tommy's like shutting his eyes, kind of trying to sleep. And then the, this dude just grabs him and just starts shaking his shoulder, saying, "Boss, don't die, don't die!" And you know he gets he wakes up and he's like, "Hey, I'm just trying to sleep." And then he kind of makes a joke of it, like, "Oh, you're not supposed to die, but it doesn't mean I can't sleep." And then so... Horace chimes in, "Yeah, the boss always sleeps standing up or sitting up." <laughs> It's uh, it's just an interesting little thing. So you know that that dude who's standing by the suitcase is a familiar friend to Tommy. Mm-hmm. So we know that they're pretty close. With, he's he's close with his employees. Yeah. And, the- and I need to remind the audience of what he looks like. Because honestly, he looks like a more round version of John C. Riley. If, like, John C. Riley was, like, a sweaty old mafia guy. <laughs> like, that that's kind of what he looks like. Uh, oh, 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 the dude in the the suitcase guardian. Yes, the suitcase guardian. Kind of looks like John C. Riley a bit. Especially with like the rounded like the really round nose and the really round cheeks. He def- he kind of looks like him. And so the episode goes into a waiting game where we see the hours tick by slowly and marked each hour goes on with the little jingle of the calculator thing. So it's... I mean, it's not that exact jingle, but, you know, that's, like, the jingle I know for... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So each hour goes by, and you hear the jingle go, and then... And you just watch the hours go by, and they're punctuated with little scenes happening in each of them. I think at three o'clock, some of the other people start falling asleep. But uh, I think. Oh, how cute! They get tired so early. <laughs> <laughs> so the hours tick by and they go on and on, and then we see that it is like ten minutes to eight, and we see that uh, what's his name? I am so bad with names. I am so sorry, folks. The guy in white. Uh, Lacey Jr. We see Lacey Jr. And he's just sitting there, just kind of smugly. And Tommy Vale is like, hey, you know, time's running out. And basically, Lacey says, like, oh, I don't sweat the small stuff. He says this with such a smug grin. He says, like, uh, Tommy says that, like, Bill Lacey always used to sweat the small stuff. You go choked on the big stuff, and you're going to choke again. And he, he reveals... That he knew that this guy was actually Bill Lacey, the guy who killed himself. And he says that, like, oh, I knew it was from you, and it was you from the minute you walked into the door. Like, and I, I know you probably learned all of this stuff from, uh, the from the other side, and that you were gonna make it pay. 
and he ends up talking about Bill Lacey and that he was a coward for uh, taking the quote-unquote easy way out of a bet, or of, of the debt, I'm sorry, the debt, and that he left a wife with uh, what, tuberculosis and two girls behind because of his cowardice. Bill Lacey is really starting to, like, his eyes are getting watery and he's getting, like, really upset. And this is, like, the most upset we see him in the episode. Yeah, he's, like, always smiling up until Tommy reveals who he is and starts really putting him down for it. Like, how dare you? You left behind... He actually calls him a stupid jerk. Like, yeah, yeah. He left yeah. behind your wife who needed you. He left behind yep. your children who needed you. And he really digs into him for this. Yeah, and- like, really tears into him for it. And then the time goes off, and Tommy is still standing. He's still alive. And... As soon as that little thing goes off, the guy in the suit, the, the brown suit, the John C. Riley guy, just grabs both of the suitcases. The, the suitcase. <laughs> oh, cat's got my tongue today. The suitcases. And he books it out of there. He just grabs it like, bye, I got a train to catch. Running away with half a million dollars. Actually, more than that. Oh, yeah, more than that. By that calculation, double, you know, Actually, how much is it? It's less than that. It's forty. It's $4,800,000. So it's almost half a million. So he books it. <laughs> the guy, the other suitcase guardian is just standing there dumbly and just staring off into nothingness. He kind of looks like a skeleton a <laughs> little bit. Like as a human being, just kind of looks like if you just barely put flesh on a skeleton, that's what he looks like. And so, defeated, he gets upset and he, he gets up. I'm talking about Lacey Jr. Uh, the Bill Lacey. The real Bill Lacey. And Tommy tells him, never underestimate the power of the human will. Right? Like, his willpower alone prevented him from dying through willpower. unknown means. <laughs> you know? So, he saunters off and him and his suitcase guardian just kind of fade at the exit they like fade away and there's like a little bit of cloud left over or mist or fog and of course horace makes a noise of, whoa you know because it's like the first time anyone including us the viewer actually see them going in and out right because mm-hmm. they always sort of appear by the door and it's like oh they must have come in you know i mean i didn't hear the door open this time you actually just see them vanish into nothing mm-hmm. tommy asks horace if he can borrow a pen and so tom uh horace lends him his pen and he starts writing out a will. And he's like, boss, I thought you won the bet. He's like, oh, no, my time's up. I know this for sure. But I sure got him, didn't I? I made a monkey out of that guy. Setting the clocks forward. It's like he fell for the oldest trick in the book. And then he just starts laughing to himself and really, really laughing. And so Horace is being, like, talked to. like, And, and he's, he's, like, kind of smiling at the fact that his boss is really giddy and Tommy is like I'm gonna die laughing and then the smile just dies right on Horace's face just gone just just like that just absolutely not there anymore and so uh Tommy is like it's getting kind of hot in here can you get me a soak and Horace goes up to the bar and he gets a soak and then when Horace comes back and we see the pencil rolling off the table and we know that Tommy has passed away. And in that moment, we hear the jingle of the calculator again. So we know that, that his time had officially come. And that's the end of the episode. It leaves with the and a very dramatic and sad falling of the pencil off the table. And that's how the episode ends. So, Valina, tell me what you think about this episode. It's good, but it's not, like, one of the better ones. I mean, mm-hmm. it's definitely, a, like, above average. It had, mm-hmm. it had a really good set of characters that you follow. They were really well acted. You pretty much like all the characters, you know, or hate all the characters that, you know, you're supposed to. And it's a really interesting take on... Well, having a bookie be the good guy, because usually in any story about gambling, it's usually from the point of view of person betting money. And to have it, to have the actual bookie as the good guy, you know, and, and give him all these good traits. He mentions a lot of times he's never been cheated and he's never been broken. 
But he also mentions that he's never muscled anybody, which I would assume means he's not sending dudes to beat up someone who doesn't have his money. He's not doing that. He also mentions that he doesn't cheat anybody. He doesn't cheat. He doesn't get cheated. And of course, you have all of his co-workers. You have Horace and the unnamed suit guardian who clearly care a lot about him. And he's got a good rapport with them. You know, he jokes around with Horace. Oh, yeah, like the, oh, wake me up if I die line. Yeah. That was a great line that he, I love. He has, like, a lot of good lines. You know, you really, really care about all these characters. And Billy Lacey, even. When he comes in, he's very creepy. He's got that weird, just relentless smile on his face. And he is, he's really a creepy guy. But when you find out his backstory, you can kind of start feeling bad for him. You know, once the facade cracks, when he starts mm-hmm. looking really upset. He, he's got it in his mind that he's going to somehow, like, avenge him himself avenge the life that he no longer has because he blames Tommy Vale for it all and it's I mean maybe it's somewhat true I mean I'm not sure how much to sort of place judgment on a bookie but yeah but he is right he did not make he did not make it's like blaming a bartender for your drinking problem yeah it's I mean, yeah, but like, no. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is that he never turned. He also mentions he's never turned down a bet, so he's not going to turn him down because he's thinking this dude is over his head. And we don't know what their interactions were. He could have said, "Are you sure these aren't good odds?" You know, because he does say that when Bill comes in and says, "Oh, I want to place a bet." Oh, well, that's eight to one. Are you sure that's not going to be over your head? You know, he does kind of give him this warning that these odds are not good. He's not saying, "Oh, those aren't good odds," but "Oh, are you feeling lucky today?" Like he's completely honest with him about mm. what to expect from the odds he's given so as much as he can be he's an honest person Bookie, yeah yeah so you know it's it, it's really interesting to see how that unfolds and, and the sort of like confrontation between these two people as it goes on you know as tommy slowly starts breaking down from the stress of losing so much money while this guy just comes in like like happier and happier each time but again it's like a it's like secretly a, you know, a tale of revenge, but from the opposite view, right? You know, mm-hmm. a tale of revenge is usually told again from the revenge-er, and this time it's like the opposite. This guy seeking revenge, you know, it's really just misplaced. It's a really interesting take, um, yeah. and it was done pretty well. And the only reason I say it's not, like, necessarily the best is that, like, it's probably just because of the topic, like, betting and or gambling and all that stuff really kind of is over my head. You know, I'm not very, I'm not really familiar with it. Especially you know? since they don't really ease you into the lingo. But it feels legitimate. Like it feels, um. But, but the, I mean, it's legitimate, but like as a viewer, if you don't know what a nickel or a dime means in betting, you're lost. As far as you know, he's betting 15 cents as opposed to, or like, you know what I mean? Like 25 cents or the five nickels, right? Uncirculated five nickels. That's five cents in my book but for he, an average person. But he does mention that first time it is $5,000. So even though he hands him nickels, you, the viewer, can say, okay, that's $5,000. Because he says $5,000, but hands him these five nickels, right? Yeah. Which are clearly not real nickels. Like, those are not nickels because they're, they're huge. Giant. <laughs> like, I've they're never seen a giant. nickel like that. <laughs> um, so... It, it doesn't really give you a lot of, like, definitions for that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, particularly the mention of the dime. I don't even think you get to even look at a coin for that. But it, it's just enough. No, he holds up a dime. Oh, does he? Yeah. But it is just enough information to know that this is clearly jargon. This isn't a real nickel or dime. It has something to do with betting that I just don't know what it is. So at least you know enough to know that it's not really a nickel and a dime. And I think that's yeah. that's enough. But again, I'm not that into gambling or betting stuff. So it, it does keep me like a little bit distant from the whole thing. But just like a little bit. Also, I prefer stories that are like more extreme in some way this is a very down-to-earth kind of episode that's an interesting point that i wanted to mention about this episode was that this episode isn't very plot driven per se as in there's not a whole lot happening from event to event we only are talking about stuff and seeing the aftermath of those things right because that's that's how betting works is at this exact moment, it is no longer talking about this thing coming up and is now dealing with the event afterwards, right? The event is not happening 
in the bookie's office. The event is happening somewhere else that they're making bets on. So it doesn't have a whole lot that's happening within the episode because it's all mostly dialogue. The the most no rememberable part, the most noticeable part of this episode is the distinct bridge between the betting and the final bet on Tommy's life. Because that's the point where now they're all in there and they're just waiting for him to die. Mm-hmm. So it's the not... The ante has been upped. <laughs> and we get to see it. <laughs> it's uh, it's an, Even if it is literally just someone sitting in a chair for eight hours, we're still seeing the event they're betting on, right? There's a good example of where betting is a larger part of an episode. It's a smaller part, but it's more impactful within an episode. If anyone has ever seen the, the strange camera... The Twilight Zone episode, there is a segment where they are betting on horse races, but they are at the horse races. They are in the audience. They're taking a picture of the victory boards, and then they get the picture so they know who's going to win, and then they place the bets on the horse, and they sit there and they watch the race. So even though either you stock footage of horses running the tracks and they, uh, have you know just this small little stand area for them to sit in and pretend to be in a horse racing arena you're seeing more of it than this which is they're in a bar and they're in a bar the entire episode this is one set for the whole 20 minutes of the episode they're sitting in one booth the whole episode (laughs) except for like the two scenes where they're at the bar yeah tommy lives breathes and literally dies in that booth yes (laughs) He eats, breathes, and dies in that spot. <laughs> the only time he gets up is for the telephone. Yeah, so it's harder to remember this episode as well, simply because it's so dialogue heavy. If you get a more like sequence of events type of episode, like uh, which was the first one we did, uh, Trick or Treat, mm-hmm. that one has a lot of events. That happens, right? You know, you have the trip to the store, you have this and you have that, and then this happens, you know, and it features a wide variety of different characters coming in and out to help bookmark a scene. I think they're called French scenes, if I'm not mistaken, in theater. I have no idea. (laughs) they're, They're marked by when people enter and exit, as opposed to a literal statement in the script that this is where the scene begins and where it ends. So... This episode is a lot harder to remember the sequence of events simply because it's a lot of talking. I mean, it's a good episode and there's a lot of good lines, so it's not like you're just sitting there just like, oh my god, they're just talking. It's enjoyable to watch because there's interesting dialogue in there and the events are interesting, but it's hard to remember. Well, if you think of it like this, the events are a buildup of... Yeah, the second half. Well, no, no, no. It's a bit, it is actually upping the ante, right? Because at first, uh, Lacey is just kind of placing a bet, which has like really kind of, uh, at odds. I wouldn't, what is it? Is it like long? Is this like a long Long shot? Long shot, but I feel like there's an actual word for it, like a high odds, perhaps. But, you know, with these odds that he's not likely to win. And he he does, in fact, win. You know, so it's like, oh, wow, you're pretty lucky. And now this guy's, like, doing the same kind of thing, but now betting all of his winnings. So you get this sort of build of, like, wow, this dude means business. But, see, the second time he does the bet, he tells everyone else. So it's not just about winning money. It's about hurting the bookie. Mm-hmm. That's what the second bet tells you, right? And then the third one, now it's really putting the pressure on Tommy because he's betting so much money. And it comes after he figures out that Lacey is, like, you know, related to the late Billy Lacey, right? So as he's sort of coming, he's he's, um, getting... uh, Catching on? Yes. As soon as he's catching on to him, he throws down this really humongous amount of money for the next bet and one that could put Tommy out of business so after that one and this is again putting the pressure on Lacey as he's come to realize who this guy is the one immediately after that when he's almost broken Bill says double or nothing on your life right now because we already know that it's personal and now it's sort of like the gloves are off 
mm-hmm. he's revealed, I actually, I'm just here for you to die. It's really what it's there for. What it really is increasing, it's not like literally things happening, because you don't watch any of the events taking place, but what you are watching is the tension rising between the two of them until you eventually realize that this dude is actually, he actually wants this other one to die. Yeah, then, but that was the intent the whole time. Exactly. But it, it starts out with, like, oh, he just wants money. Now it might be personal. Now it is personal. Now he actually wants it done. So you've got this, like, build-up, like I said, between the two of them. And that's really the, the meat of this episode. It's really about, I want to say their relationship, but the very, very antagonistic relationship. And, like, there's the kind of character development, you know, how Tommy acts under pressure. Mm-hmm. right he remains calm like he's he's nervous you know he's sweating he's you know afraid he's gonna go out of business but he never loses his cool he always keeps thinking a few steps ahead of billy even though he i mean as a bookie there's not much he can do other than like say i'm gonna cut your odds in half he can try to do stuff like that but he's not going to refuse because he has principles he's standing by and it's really telling of these characters so you as the viewer get to see who these people are unfolding in front of you and that's I mean, it's really well done, and it's what makes this episode memorable, even if no such, like, outstanding event. Because the only real, like, say, supernatural event is the fact that this is the dead Billy Lacey come back to life for vengeance. And the guy that he comes with, who I I like to think that that other random dude in the black suit is death. (laughs) That, you know, he's, like, allowing him to come back. But there's, like, nothing to really suggest that. And I didn't read the credits at the end to see who he was supposed to be. I think it's probably just credited as weirdo or something like yeah, that. Just man in black suit, perhaps. Yeah. But I kind of think that's who he is. But, I mean, there's really no reason to think so. Other than once he's done with Tommy, like, say Tommy died, he it, would go back and he'd never come back, right? It's his so, death parole officer. Tim, perhaps. <laughs> yes. Now, this is something that I wanted to bring up. That is an interesting point of conversation that I've actually been holding off on until the discussion. And that is the, uh, what's the word? Again, I'm just brain farting so hard today. It is a thing where, a paradox. Mm -hmm. Uh, The paradoxical prediction of the death of Tommy. So this is the interesting thing that I noticed about this episode. If uh, Bill, if, if, what was his name? Jesus. Guy in white is Bill. Guy in white. Look, yeah. he is Tommy. Bill, the Bill Lacey. If Bill Lacey did not lose the bet, would Tommy still have died laughing? Of which would be considered the natural cause. Because that was the mm. prediction that he was going to die no. by a natural cause at 8 o'clock. Well, you don't die of laughter. You just die... Oh, no, I know that. What I'm saying is that his natural caused death is at 8 o'clock. Would this have even happened if A, Bill Lacey did not even show up, or B, it was right, and they didn't think to change the clocks or anything, would he have still died of a natural cause at the same time if Bill Lacey wasn't there and he lost the bet to cause him to die of a natural cause. Well, but see, no, no, no. He was always going to die at that point because I'm going to assume he's got a bad heart because of the manner of him just dropping dead. I think he has a bad heart. So he was always going to die because uh, Lacey knew all these horses, uh, not horses, but all these sporting events. He knew everything to put money on. So he already knows the future. So all of these really just what he what he does right not that any of that money means him anything right because yeah. he can't take it with him <clears throat> it wasn't I mean, about really. keeping the money it was about taking it from tommy yeah it, it was it was about winning tommy mm-hmm. it was about breaking him it was about making him lose all this money so he goes bankrupt and then watching him die that is what Lacey wanted because that's what he feels tommy did to him Although the last part couldn't possibly have been true, right? Because yeah. what happened? He, he didn't do that. So do you think that's not a paradox then? No. Because he simply knew it ahead of time and then made the bet. Because honestly, for sure, Tommy was still going to be in that booth, you know, uh, collecting on evil's money or giving it to people. He was always going to be right there dying of the same thing. So it's not really a paradox. But here's the thing about time travel that's always a big stinker. When it comes to things like this, when you're predicting the future, and anything that uses future prediction stuff, is that sometimes very... 
You know what I mean? What it could I have mean? been an aneurysm. And again, this is also an episode of a TV show. They're probably not doctors. But I mean, like, <sighs> it doesn't matter how we die. My the point, point is, is that he die. says he's going to die laughing. But that's just an expression. I know that. But the way he said it and the timing of it makes it sound like that actually is probably going to be the cause of it. He says, I'm going to die laughing. That's because it's a good thing to die. Like, how to die. Like, if I'm going to die, I'd rather die laughing, right? It's just because when you die, you're happy, right? That's what the expression means. It's not that laughing killed him. It's just that he was really happy when he died. So he literally dies laughing. It's not that he dies of laughter. Because had uh, Lacey not even been there, he would have just been sitting in his booth and maybe just died. You know, when, like I said, calculating winnings and stuff. If it was his heart, it doesn't really, or, you know, like his brain, it doesn't make a difference whether or not he's laughing. Because, again, Lacey's not even time traveling. He's not from the future changing the past. No, yeah, he's, he's learning about the future from the spirit world. Yeah, and it seems as though his betting on these things doesn't actually change them. And because Tommy was always going to be doing these things, his presence there, particularly because he's also behaving as a client, it goes so closely to what he'd normally be doing that it, it would change so very little, right? But something I did want to mention, and this is important, and why I think that might have the factor in it, is because at the beginning of this episode, we have Bill Lacey and Tommy Vale. Bill Lacey is smiling and giggling, and he's kind of happy. Kind of. He's very happy. And Tommy Vale is stone-faced, absolutely serious, and that is how the episode opens with Tommy Vale being super serious and Bill Lacey being super non-serious. And at the end of the episode, it ends with Bill Lacey being miserable, serious, and Tommy Vale dying of laughter in a very non-serious type of you know, situation. They start in kind of opposite places from where they end. What does this have to do with the predictions, though? I'm just saying thematically... If Tommy oh, Vale like, died um, laughing, then it kind of ties to this idea that maybe the dead are like, because again, Tommy Vale dies laughing and Bill Lacey enters this whole episode from the dead, smiling and giggling and all that. I mean, I mean it's I something. Would say visual, it's I would something. say visually it does make a lot of sense considering like there's so much reversals in this episode. Like I said, reversal of the fact that we're watching like a story about revenge from not the person trying to get revenge's point of view, like the actual object of revenge, we're looking at them. And not mm -hmm. only that, but the bookie is the good guy, right? So mm -hmm. we have this kind of reversal. So, I mean, visually, that's a really nice sort of switch, right? But I don't think that has anything to do with the, like, the predictions or even how he dies. I mean, well, how he dies, if he dies laughing, that's probably just because it gets that nice image of him being happy when he's dying as opposed to Lacey always having that grin on his face. But I don't think that has anything to do with the timing of it. Alright. But now I got one for you. Hmm. Why in the world did he not wear his own watch to make sure that if if I was betting on someone's life, I would bring my own watch. I know. Why would right? he trust the bookies clock? Like and even still, it's just even then it's a fashion he, statement too. But when you know? does he show up? Like he's like, I gotta, I gotta be there at eight o'clock, like he says. I, why is he not wearing a watch or having a pocket watch? I mean, maybe he, maybe he's looking at his brain dead uh, suitcase guardian's watch. And another funny thing too, and this is hilarious to me, that that dude that's with him, like whether or not he's, let's say he's deaf. Because mm. let's just pretend because it's, it's kind of funny. I think he's too like, dumb to be deaf. I don't think like, he's deaf. I don't think he's dumb. I think he does not care. Everyone in the room is coming with him at some point. None of them matter. These trivial little games do not matter. So he does not care. Because you know what? He should absolutely know the actual time it was. And he would literally know that Tommy was still going to die at 8. Like, he would just innately know what time it was. And he does not tell Lacey anything. He's like, sure, it's 8 o'clock. And it <laughs> isn't. And he doesn't say anything. He's like, oh, maybe you should check your watch. I don't even know if he's capable of speech. But see, there's the thing. He's so very quiet. And I feel like it's a bit telling that Horace tells him, just says out loud, oh, that guy gives me the creeps. But, I mean, what is Lurch going to even say, right? <laughs> like, he's just... He's just going to stand there and just stare at the phone booth wall. And that's just it. <laughs> but he stays there. And it's not even like, oh, this is... 
because when it has that kind of like, oh, this is some weird character that's staring off into nothing in a kind of meta way. Like, because there's a, there's like, uh, staring off into nothing that makes you seem less dumb and staring roughly at the fourth wall is, I mean, saying like at the fourth wall, I mean, in the direction the camera's facing, but not directly at the camera. It has more of a just kind of in your own head type of look, whereas staring off into what we can verifiably know in universe is a wall and is visibly a wall throughout the episode comes across as this character is dumb as a brick and but doesn't see, know what to do. I, the, like I said, I take the opposite from that. Like, I honestly think that it's just because, like, if he's deaf, which I like to think that he is, that he's just so uninvested that literally the wall is more interesting. Like, all of these people are, like, ants. Like, he, in his brain, he already owns them. Like, they're already his souls. So, none of this matters. And, like I said, I find it funny that he doesn't tell Lacey anything. Like, oh, you know what? You should drink your watch. It's 7 o'clock. He doesn't, you know? And I just find that funny because clearly he has the power to go with him. And he doesn't... Lacey does not need this man, right? Because he comes in and out with this money that he just automatically has. Up until this last part where Lacey appears for the final time, he has this man with him. Now, he doesn't need a suitcase guardian like... Uh, Tommy does. I think it, it might actually be a legal requirement. That's why those guys even... Because why Why couldn't Horace or Phil do that? Hmm. You know? He had two guys. He, he brings in a fourth person in this business to be around the money. And so I think that has to do with uh, a legality of the bet. But Again, only... we don't do betting or any kinds of things like that. So we don't have any like personal inform- mm-hmm. uh, personal knowledge of the workings of working with bookies and whatnot. But I have a feeling, like kind of a hunch, that that's probably a legal requirement more than it is a, uh, a utility requirement. Like, oh, you know, my arms are full. I need someone else to help me with the suitcase. It's just, no, we need somebody to bring in the suitcase and be assigned guardians of these suitcases. But that doesn't make a lot of sense. That's the first time we see either of those two. I feel like that only works for Tommy because he's still alive and like the law applies to him. I mean, I'm him. not saying I don't know who I but, don't know who this death guy or the dead guy is, but But I think that because like like I said, from their angle that money is actually nothing. So he doesn't <laughs> he does not need a suitcase guardian. He could have brought it by himself and just let Tommy's suitcase guardian be the suitcase guardian. I honestly think he's there because this is his final time, right? Because he's taking him back. I mean, that's why. That's kind of why I think he's deaf, really, is because he's there because this is his last time. And also, had, you know, when Tommy is going to die, then Lacey needs to go back permanently, right? Because that's the only, that is the only reason he's there. So he's only there up until the bet is done with and then takes him away. Mm-hmm. And he's not even there for Tommy, right? Like, because that's later, right? He's just there for Lacey. So I think he is the Virgil to Dante, you know, guiding mm-hmm. him in and out of... I'm not sure. I mean, if... It's not explicitly stated where he goes. He just is in the afterlife. Yeah. It's the other side. And it's honestly probably not hell, considering he gets his opportunity for revenge. Yeah. So, I mean, as, as far as we know, it's just another side where he clearly is still living with this anger in his heart that he wants so badly to revenge himself upon Tommy. That he's, like, allowed to do this. But mm. that it still bothered him so much. He actually was brought back not to life exactly but they gave him back, the opportunity yeah to, to actually do this and because it didn't make a difference like he wasn't gonna go kill tommy you know he was just gonna literally watch as he died his normal death cause so you know it wasn't gonna make a difference so they like allow allowed it just for his own peace of mind or whatever so you know he's just on the other side now now we're gonna start asking the big question we're talking the hardest hitting questions that just hit you deep in your soul what did Phil get in the will? What do you think Phil got in the will? Do you think Phil got in the will at all? Or do you think it all went to Horace? Because he said he's leaving a lot for Horace. I think- but we don't know if he even has a family. Uh, Tommy. We don't know if Tommy has a family. So as far as I'm aware, it's going to go to three people, assuming. It's going to go to Horace, Phil, and the dude carrying the briefcase. Because those are literally all the people we ever see around him. So I'm assuming that's his legal family and that he's going to put them all in the will. So what do you think Phil gets out of this? Uh, I mean, like, okay, first of all, I think Horace 
gets Tommy's position is mm. that I think he's probably just going to sort of like naturally move up to fill Tommy's shoes because mm-hmm. he's got his little calculator. He can, uh, you know, calculate the amount of money that's owed. Yeah. Um, and that was Bill... important to note because he wouldn't get that otherwise if he didn't play at his funeral. Yes. And Phil, he probably gets a free beer. <laughs> free silk on the house. Yes. But only on, like, Fridays. <laughs> or free whenever he can grab that five-finger discount, I'm just saying. <laughs> Not that he'd probably steal. Uh, who knows how many he pours out for himself. And uh, what do you think about what do you think about the suitcase guardian dude? Do you think he gets uh, a decorative suitcase? I think as, he like, probably. Consolation? I think he probably like took a couple dollars out of one of those suitcases. <laughs> like, oh man, boss, I think uh, I think that guy cheated you. Exactly five hundred fifty dollars. <laughs> uh, so, what do you think happens to guy in white? <laughs> Bill Lacey. Lacey. What do you think happens to Bill Lacey when he doesn't get his revenge? Do you think he just sulks back into the other side and then that's it? He's just miserable for all eternity? I mean, maybe. I mean, I hope that what he does is he goes back and he thinks about what Tommy told him. You mm-hmm. know, maybe he thinks about, like, just himself. Hopefully he he's not so bitter maybe he takes just, responsibility for his own actions because the whole point of revenge like this is that he to, doesn't take responsibility to he take the face Tommy. the music as it were yeah and to sort of realize that all of his actions were his own that mm. would just be the best for him and maybe that's even why he was allowed to come back because maybe they thought this was the best way of him learning his lesson be like you know what you need to stop blaming others for what you chose so maybe if you we let you confront him, maybe they knew what was going to happen, that Tommy was going to do this, and that's why he said nothing, right? Maybe it needed to happen. Mm-hmm. So I, hopefully, like I said, good, good ending for Lacey would be that he learns his lesson and can hopefully move on from yeah. his need for vengeance and his misery. So who do you think are the luckiest people in all this? All of the betting situation, who do you think is the real luckiest person in all of this? Because I have a correct answer. (laughs) I think whoever Lacey tipped off (laughs) on the Orioles, I think they're the only ones who are coming out on top. Yep. Those are the real lucky people. Yeah, because Lacey, he loses what he wanted to do. He he didn't get what he wanted. Tommy dies. Horace loses a best friend. And Phil loses his boss. I don't know how close they are, but they are clearly close enough. I think they're pretty close. I think they're probably Um, close enough to kiss. So no no one in the bar is happy. I mean, I guess Tommy did die laughing, so I guess he's pretty happy. Not necessarily lucky, though. No. But yeah. The lucky people people are those who decided to take a chance on this chucklehead in all white. Just saying, hey, you know what? Bet on the Orioles. And they're like, you know what? I'm going to sink some money into the Orioles. Uh I trust this guy. Yes. (laughs) And a trustworthy face. It's got a trustworthy face. It's constantly on it. I got a smile on it. And he's constantly giggling and chuckling mm-hmm. to himself. Oh my gosh. He is like the human version of Crazy Red. <laughs> yeah. Crazy Red were a human being. He would smile like that guy. Oh, and in case you don't know, Crazy Red is a character from Animal Crossing. Mm-hmm. So, Valina, since you're super attached to that five-star system, what would you rate this episode? You know, I think... Oh, to be clear, on the five-star system. <laughs> I think I'm going to be generous, and I think I'm going to give it four stars. Ooh. Because, honestly, it has a really it does a really good job of character development. It's not a perfect episode. Mm. Um, you can kind of feel the restraints of its budget. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, not that it's necessarily a sign of budget, that it's in the same room all the time, but there's certain aspects about... <sighs> Only filming in one corner of the room? Yeah, and also... I gotta say it, Tommy Vale's, like, makeup, you know, is done in such a bizarre way. It, it is yeah. noticeably bad. Like, his, mm-hmm. I, I, it, it almost looks like they sprayed his hair gray. So it looks gray, but it you can tell. Like, it's it like looks... a very non-shiny gray. So it looks like his hair is covered in gray chalk. Yes. Because hair is naturally glossy. Mm-hmm. And when something is flat, or alternatively, way too glossy, it sells it as fake. Exactly. And also, he's got, he just straight up has a pillow under his shirt. Yes, he's <laughs> supposed to be fat, but he's just got this pillow under his shirt. Like, I, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know why they chose to do that. 
but they did and it is noticeable it's like oh he's literally got a pillow under his shirt there's just just no other way to look at that he's uh, not sweating because the odds are catching up with him he's sweating because that pillow is preventing his skin from breathing exactly <laughs> but i don't want to trash it right now and i'm giving it a four stars it yeah, did it's a, really a very good job. very forgivable minor problem to this episode yeah uh so i'm gonna give it the four stars just for the character development mm-hmm mm. So that just about wraps up today's episode. So tell me, Valina, where can you find us on the internet? Well, I do have an Instagram account going, and you can find that at This House Podcast on Instagram. And you can also email us if you feel so inclined to do so at This House Podcast at gmail.com please find us on itunes and leave us a review and a rating because we can definitely use more of those it's like money who's gonna turn down a review and our episode for next week is gonna cover episode six of tales from the dark side mookie and pookie or Mookie and Pookie. I cannot remember how to pronounce that <laughs> one of them is garfield's teddy bear i don't remember pookie <laughs> So that one's going to be an interesting one indeed, because mm. we actually have quite a bit to say about that episode. Oh, yes. It is... It's it's a landmark episode for a not very great reason. Yes. It is so insanely bland that we actually adore it. Yes. So stick around for that one, because that's going to be a very, very interesting episode. Not the episode itself, our episode. <laughs> <laughs> Well, folks, that's all for tonight's episode. So, listeners, as our guests of honor, get out of our house!